Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Afghanistan has fallen. The images of civilians fleeing in terror as the Taliban captured Afghanistan's capital city of Kabul will echo through history as a reminder of the ineptitude of Commander-in-Chief Joe Biden. So how is the president's administration responding to the biggest U.S. foreign policy debacle in decades? Oh, they're blaming Trump, of course. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. So Afghanistan has collapsed and the Kabul central government is now in the hands of the Taliban. Uh, This is a disaster. It is the biggest foreign policy disaster that any of us have seen in decades, perhaps even in generations. And it happened with breathtaking speed. This Taliban blitzkrieg was able to seize the country in days, not months, as was initially anticipated, which brings up enormous questions about How could the Biden administration be this inept? How is it that we could have spent so much time, money, and treasure in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, close to a trillion dollars, almost 2,500 killed in action, Americans killed in action in that country? And what did we achieve exactly? What is the circumstance of Afghanistan today as we end the U.S. military presence in that country in its entirety? Well, you have... Kabul's airport surrounded by Taliban. You've got the palace of the president with Taliban fighters swarming inside of it, taking photos of themselves at his desk. Uh, Now the president, of course, Ashraf Ghani, has fled the country. You have Taliban soldiers who are taking video of themselves working out in the presidential compound's gym. I mean, this is a debacle of unbelievable proportions. And the Biden administration is in charge. They called the shots here. They're the ones who are making these decisions and determinations. Here is Secretary of State Tony Blinken, who is blaming Trump for the Afghan timeline. Fighting in in Afghanistan is, is, is seasonal. Why not delay the withdrawal to the winter and give the Afghan security forces a chance when we know the Taliban retreats in the winter? Was there any, you know, The idea that you accept this Trump, this bad deal by Trump, but you'll turn back other bad deals by Trump. I mean, what was wrong with delaying six months? Because we inherited a deadline. 
negotiated by the previous administration. That deadline was May 1st. And the idea that uh, we could have maintained the status quo beyond May 1st if the president had decided to stay, uh, I think, is, uh, is a fiction. A fiction, he says. Since we're talking about fiction, since we're having a discussion here about what really is going on and what people are saying has happened because there are enormous political implications from this. Should you believe the expert class? Should you think that the people that are making these kinds of decisions at the very top level for the Biden administration know what the heck they're doing? Here is Secretary of State Blinken back in June talking about how this is not something that the significant deterioration in Afghanistan security will not be something that happens from a Friday to a Monday. I don't think that uh, the fact that our forces are, are withdrawing, one, we're not withdrawing, we're staying, uh, the embassy is staying, our programs are staying, we're working to make sure that other partners stay, we're building all of that up, and uh, whatever happens in Afghanistan, if there is a significant deterioration uh, in security, um, that could well happen, we've discussed this uh, before, um, I don't think it's going to be something that happens from a Friday to a Monday. Uh, so I wouldn't um, necessarily equate the departure of our forces uh, in July, August, or by early September with some kind of immediate uh, deterioration uh, in, the, uh, in the situation. Immediate deterioration is exactly what happened. A matter of days. Kabul was in the hands of the now former Afghan central government, our allied government that we had trained, equipped, paid for, propped up for decades. Kabul was in their hands four days ago, three days ago. As of Sunday, it has fallen entirely into the hands of the Taliban. This is a, a disaster. Uh, there's no way around that. And the video of people out at Kabul International Airport, Afghans who are desperately trying to literally cling to the fuselage of Air Force C-17 planes, transport planes, uh, taking people out of the country, hundreds and hundreds at a time. But some individuals grabbed onto the wheels of the planes, and there's video of them falling once the planes take off into the sky. That is imagery that people will not forget anytime soon. It's appalling that this is the situation that the United States finds itself in now. The whole world is, in fact, watching. And we should remember the people who, including Biden today at his speech this, uh, this afternoon, they want you to trust them. They say they know what they're doing. Well, again, here was Joe Biden back, uh, back in June saying the Taliban will not overrun Afghanistan. It's not like Vietnam. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an Air Force, against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese Army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. He was right in a way that he didn't intend to be. 
the Taliban is not like the North Vietnamese army, and that the Taliban was able to take over the entire country much faster than North Vietnam was. And the South Vietnamese actually continued the fight even after the U.S. military drawdown for quite some time. But does it really even matter at this point what Biden's poor historical knowledge tells him? I mean, this is an abject catastrophe. We can all see it. We're all quite aware of it. And this was the administration that we were told by the experts was supposed to be in a position to do great things on foreign policy, right? And, and remember, they could reverse the Iran deal, but they had to go with Trump on Afghanistan. This blaming the previous administration when the commander in chief with a military and intelligence apparatus of, a hundred, of hundreds of billions of dollars in spending a year at his disposal, blaming the previous administration is pathetic. But what else are they going to do? What else are they going to say? One more thing here. Don't let them, uh, don't let them put blame only on, say, those in the administration who are expendable politically. Kamala Harris back in April wanted everybody to know that she was very involved in the decision to pull out of Afghanistan. Here's what she said then. President Biden always said that he wants you to be the last person in yeah. the room, particularly for big decisions, just as he was for President yeah. Obama. He just made a really big decision. Afghanistan. Yes. Were you the last person in the room? Yes. And you feel comfortable? I do. Ah, yes. She also wanted some part of the credit at the time for that, but things change. Reality on the ground changes. Unfortunately, the reality on the ground in Afghanistan is only going to get worse, and everyone should be prepared for real atrocities in the days and weeks ahead. It's going to be uh, horrific and ugly and evil. And this was a withdrawal that everyone knows could have and should have been managed with much greater strategic planning. Are the Taliban faced very little resistance, if really any at all, as they swept into Kabul over the weekend? So just how did it fall apart so quickly? Senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense and Democracies, Bill Roggio, joins us next to explain how it all went down. But first, I want to talk to you about the most important asset you own, your home. How much equity do you have in your home? 50000 100000 More? Cybercrime experts are alerting homeowners that the more equity you have, the greater the chance foreign and domestic criminals will come after you. Home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. In fact, Home Title Lock, America's leader in home, protection, home title protection, is alerting homeowners they could already be a victim and not know it. Here's how it goes down. First, cyber thieves search hundreds of public databases for high equity homes. Next, they pull your home's online title, forge your signature stating you sold your home, and take out loans using your equity. You're not covered by insurance, your bank, or common identity theft programs. Protect your most valuable asset. Register your address to see now if you're already a victim and receive a complete title history of your home, a $100 value free. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. The speed at which the Taliban regained control of Afghanistan seems to have taken everybody by surprise. Bill Roggio of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies has been closely following the advance of the Taliban over the past few months. And last week he posted this map showing the status of provinces in Afghanistan. The provinces in red and those, uh, and those that were under Taliban, or those rather, that were under Taliban control. Here's what that map looks like today, just one week later. Near total Taliban control. So how did it all fall apart so quickly? 
Joining me now, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Bill Roggio. Bill, good to see you again, though the circumstances right now are obviously pretty tough, but thanks for being with us. It's always a pleasure to join you. Unfortunately, it usually means there's bad news, but uh, here we are. So last we talked, it was the Taliban is taking control of a lot of the country. Now, for all intents and purposes, the Taliban controls Afghanistan. Kabul fall, uh, fell in a matter of days, and this just seems to be an, an utter disaster. But just focusing on, on the more of the military and tactical side of it, Bill, than the political Biden administration catastrophe component. How did this happen? I mean, we, we were told there was a 300,000 person Afghan army a matter of weeks ago, and we didn't even hear about any really long, uh, long drawn out battles for any of these cities in recent weeks. What went on here? Yeah, this, this is a, a, a Taliban, the result of a Taliban strategy that was in the works for years, combined with a massive understand, misunderstanding uh, of what the Taliban was uh, by the U.S. establishment, U.S. intelligence officials, the U.S. military, and three successive administrations that denied the fact that the Taliban only wanted to take retake control of Afghanistan and reimpose its Islamic Emirate. So how does this unfold? In 2014, when the U.S. military transfers control to the Afghan security forces, uh, the Taliban, the U.S. military was focused on securing the cities. Right? And they were focused on a population-centric counterinsurgency strategy. The Taliban said, fine, we don't care about the cities right now. We're going to go after the rural areas. They, they did a rural insurgency. And we'll take these areas and then we'll expand our control outward. And that's exactly what they did. And it's exactly why this map that I've been tracking for seven years, that's why I created it, because I recognize this strategy. And over time, they expanded their control little by little by little up until President Biden's announcement where they controlled, I would say, about a sixth of the districts in, in Afghanistan. Think of them as counties here in the United States. And about half of the districts were contested. These were places where the Taliban was clashing with Afghan security forces. So over the course of that time, the Taliban built up its strength and it, it almost hollowed out the Afghan security forces in the process. In many of those areas that were contested, government ba military bases were uh, or district centers, they were under siege from the Taliban, they were cut off from resupply. So when the Taliban, after President Biden announced, made the announcement April 14th, the Taliban waited for that May 1st date so it could say it lived up to its part of that awful uh, Doha agreement signed by the Trump administration. And then it launched its offensive. And then over the course of three and a half months, most, uh, nearly every one of those contested districts went under Taliban control. And as soon as they controlled those districts, then that rural insurgency strategy that we, did, we talked about, they were at the city gates. And then it was just a matter of taking cities and cities and provinces. And then that's what they did. The North went first, along with the West. The North is the key strategic area. That's where all the government power brokers are. Uh, the Afghan, the Taliban denied them their base of support. It also denied them a future Northern Alliance, but that's for another day. Then it swept the South quickly. Then it swept the East. This was a course of 12 days. So pe people are saying this was an immensely quick collapse. But when you look at the history of this, when the history of this is written, and I hope to do that someday soon, you're going to see that the Taliban had a plan. It was patient it, and it executed this plan under the noses of US intelligence, Afghan intelligence and the US military. They planned, organized and executed this sophisticated operation 
under the nose of multi-billion dollar intelligence services and the U.S. military, which instead of worrying about what the Taliban was doing militarily, bought into the Doha process. It bought into the idea that there could be peace. We, we were playing a game for a tie and the Taliban were playing the win. And, that, and guess what? When, you, when that's the case, the guy playing the win usually will win. What, what is the truth? I mean, when we look at the, at the Doha agreement from the Trump administration beforehand, I'm seeing people that are saying, Bill, well, the moment that the Taliban made moves on provincial capitals, then that could have triggered provisions that had already been set out, that Biden could have started you know, doing uh, escalated airstrikes, and, th and that there was essentially a, a military uh, response that was supposed to be a part of that process. Is, is, that, is that accurate? I mean, what... What was baked in here and what were decisions that Biden clearly made? Yeah, that, that's a completely inaccurate. Um, so this is some of the flack that the, the people that supported this deal put out there to confuse everyone. So first of all, this deal is three and a third pages. And most of it, about half of a page of it, talks about how the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan isn't, it doesn't exist and it's really the Taliban. I signed um, car loan agreements that are um, far, far longer than this agreement. And in there, if you search for this, uh, the, the, the agreement and, and do a word search on there, there's nothing in there that says reduction in violence or the Taliban won't attack capitals. It really, all it says, the, the only key thing that the Taliban was supposed to do was not allow Al Qaeda to operate in areas it controlled um, and not provide support for them. And they lied about that. So there was nothing stopping the Trump administration or the Biden administration from preventing this Taliban advance. The reality is, is that three successive administrations wed themselves to peace with the Taliban with, while the Taliban used the peace talks to, to force the U.S. to withdraw. It's that simple. There's what no, is the anything about this agreement. I mean, it, it will take you no time to read. And, and it's all been put, a smokescreen put out by Zalmay Khalizade, who's told us the Taliban will, will um, uh, will uh, disassociate from al-Qaeda. Even Secretary of State Pompeo, he told us that the Taliban would destroy al-Qaeda. The number of al-Qaeda operatives killed by the Taliban is zero. And the reality is, is that al-Qaeda played a critical role in this offensive, particularly in the north. And well, that, that's what I want to add. Can we, can we drill into that for a second, Bill? Just because a lot of people now who are just focusing on the, the risk, the threat to the U.S. that may come from this. Put aside the humanitarian catastrophe that is unfolding and will continue to in the days ahead. Is the Taliban, I mean, you, you just said that, that al-Qaeda played a role in this offensive. I mean, that seems to, uh, that seems to suggest that the issue is not whether, uh, whether al-Qaeda will at some point perhaps receive safe harbor from the Taliban, but already is. Is that, is that where we are? That's absolutely correct, Buck. Here's the deal. This is something that I and my colleague Thomas Jocelyn at the Long War Journal have tracked for years. So forget the, his, the history of it. After the Doha, or the, a week before the, um, the uh, two months before the Doha agreement was signed, the U.S. and Afghan forces killed a man named Asim Umar. He's the head of al-Qaeda's um, branch in the subcontinent. It's one of the key, you know, that's a top leader within al-Qaeda, coordinates al-Qaeda's operations regionally. Um, but the Al Qaeda is regional and it's central. They're all interconnected. Um, after the deal was signed, the U.S. killed a, a man named Rauf, who was wanted by the FBI. Um, he 
was uh, one of on Al Qaeda's shore or its central council. He uh, was head of Al Qaeda's propaganda. And there's other Al Qaeda leaders. Those are the two most striking. And we've killed numerous other Al Qaeda leaders and fighters during after the deal was signed. And the Taliban would say, oh, no, they're just not here. Literally lied to us. And nobody ever challenged them on, on that except for Tom and I. Um, here's another thing. The man who planned this offensive is a man named Sirajuddin Haqqani. He's listed as a specially designated global terrorist uh, for his ties to Al Qaeda, as is all of his family members and anyone who works for him. He's He organized this offensive. The United Nations said in its sanctions and monitoring team's last report that he is a leader of Al Qaeda. And one more quick point, in the North, Al Qaeda leveraged these various small Central Asian jihadist groups who, who operate under Al Qaeda's umbrella, Islamic movement in Uzbekistan, Ansarullah, so on and so on. And it used them to infiltrate and, and recruit in the in the Tajik and Uzbek and Turkmen areas of the North. And that's how the Taliban built its strength after after since 9-11, where in areas where the where it could never make inroads, it now had it. It owed, the Taliban is owed Al Qaeda for that. The current estimate of Al Qaeda in Afghanistan is 500. That's from the UN. I think that look, that's a that's a lot. I think that number is far, far too low. I think we're we're going to see Al Qaeda's hit in hand in this operation in the coming days, weeks, and months. My co colleague Thomas Jocelyn and I we're we're working on that story right now. All right, Phil, we'll have you back to talk about it. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Buck. Always a pleasure, my friend. After days of silence, President Biden finally addressed the nation this afternoon on the unfolding situation in Afghanistan. Matt Schlapp, chairman of the American Conservative Union, joins us next with his insight into the potential political fallout that Biden will face. But before that, I want, you to, I want to tell you about my friends at My Digital Money. Everybody wants to invest in crypto these days, but it's not easy to get started. That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, decided to create My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account all the time, a play money account so you can actually test the market without risking your money. And with the recent cryptocurrency uh, market hotter than ever before, this might be a great time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. Matt Schlapp of the American Conservative Union joins us when we come back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When I came into office, 
I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. Under his agreement, U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021, just a little over three months after I took office. The choice I had to make as your president was either to follow through on that agreement or be prepared to go back to fighting the Taliban in the middle of the spring fighting season. I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. The truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed, sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. And the buck stops with me. After nearly six days of silence, President Biden finally addressed the nation on the Taliban's complete takeover of Afghanistan. Joining me now is Reaction Chairman of the American Conservative Union, Matt Schlapp. Matt, thanks for being here. Good to be with you, Buck. Biden administration can't run from this one. What would you make of both the, uh, the speech today and, and the implications for this White House? Well, I remember when I worked for President Bush and I had just left after the first term, he was successfully reelected and a liberal reporter uh, 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 emailed me. We didn't have text back then, believe it or not, Buck. He emailed me after the Hurricane uh, Katrina, which was a real disaster for President Bush. And he said, this presidency is a spent bullet. And I thought it was harsh and wrong. It turned out to be completely right. There are moments when presidencies just kind of almost become lame duck. And I just wonder if this is the moment for President Biden. I didn't know what I thought about this until I sat at an airport last night and saw all these videos. I think, I don't, I don't think it matters what your politics is. I think this was an embarrassment for the United States. President, a former President Trump certainly agrees. He, he uh, shared in a statement, it's time for Joe Biden to resign in disgrace for what he's allowed to happen in Afghanistan. Along with the tremendous surge in COVID, the border catastrophe, the destruction of energy independence and our crippled economy shouldn't be a big deal because he wasn't elected legitimately in the first place. Put, putting aside the election issue, Matt, which I know you've dealt with a lot, tell me a bit about the, uh, the implications here for Biden, not only on the Afghan issue, but just to your point about an almost feeling of lame duck presidency, this is certainly a catastrophe right. presidency so far. Yeah, you know, Buck, uh, we've had you at CPAC and you've been a voice for uh, an America first foreign policy and not being interventionist all over the globe. So I think we can separate these issues about whether or not we should have uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of American troops in a country like Afghanistan and then look at the, the course of the last several days, the last six days, as you said, uh, and separate those two and say, if you're going to pull out of a country, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Clearly, sadly, tragically, this is a textbook for the wrong way to do it. And, you know, it's not like this is the only 
disaster the Biden administration is dealing with. They have a disaster at the southern border, which is of their making. They have a disaster on COVID, which is, uh, you know, Chinese corona, which is the Chinese communist uh, government's making. But they've made it worse because they sold a bill of goods to all of us that the thing was under control because we would all wear masks or we would shut down our schools or we would treat uh, a vaccine as if it was an inoculation when uh, a vaccine is only kind of a temporary uh, cure for some, not even a cure, but uh, a medical therapy. So th this is a problem that they have two thirds of the backbone of Joe Biden's uh, approval numbers, which have been pretty good, right, right above 50%, are based on his handling on Chinese Corona. So if you take that into account as that starts to break down tragically, the border, which I think is the number one reason the Republicans will take back Congress next year, and then put this inflation, which is out of control um, altogether. I mean, this is this really is uh, Jimmy Carter all over again. The only difference is Billy Carter was known for drinking too much beer and coming up with Billy beer, and uh, the Biden family seems to have a lot more ethical problems than that. I know that the press is trying to pretend like they're real journos in this moment because there's no, there's no uh, defense of the Biden administration withdrawal plan, how they're executing this withdrawal that does not look absolutely absurd. And so I view this as just uh, pseudo journo opportunism. And if you're talking about that, I think no one does it better than Mr. Uh, Tapper over at CNN. But here he is with the Secretary of State, all of a sudden pretending to be a guy who wants to really get answers. But President Biden, just last month, quote, the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. He was wrong. Why didn't you uh, have the troops in there and then let that happen first before taking them out? Again, I come back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is that that status quo I, was not sustainable. You keep changing the, the subject to whether or not we should be there forever. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whether or not this exit was done properly uh, taking out all the service members before those Americans and those uh, Afghan translators could get out. That's what I'm talking about. I think it shows that uh, we were prepared. The president was prepared for every contingency as this moved forward. Uh, we had those forces on hand uh, and they were able to deploy very quickly again to make sure that we could move out safely and, security, and securely as the situation on the ground changed. Oh, yeah. It was uh, all according to plan, Matt. They, they totally saw this coming, which is why they said that everything that we're seeing wouldn't happen just a few weeks ago. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, I was worried about it during uh, the Trump administration when you set an arbitrary date. I almost think that helps 
uh, the, your, your opposition, your enemy in these cases. I think uh, you definitely want to have a date in mind, but when you draw a line in the sand last, at, like that, you have to comply with it. And uh, unfortunately, they seem to be more concerned with complying with the date than they were exiting in the appropriate way. And I think you're right about these journalists. You know, I heard from two New York Times journalists within the course of 30 minutes this morning as I was drinking my morning coffee because I called one of them out for this idea that the Biden and Trump had the same plan on Afghanistan. I'll, I will just say, uh, I sure would have liked to see, if we're going to pull out of Afghanistan, I sure would have liked to see Mike Pompeo and Ambassador O'Brien oversee it, because I think they would have realized that how you pull out matters. And I also think that those of us who can remember our, all too well the hostages in Iran and the tragedy in Beirut, we all remember that uh, how you handle these things is awfully important. And I don't know why Biden has a lot of smart people around him, even if the president isn't you know, at it every moment of the day. And, I don't understand, Buck, why they whiffed so dramatically here. I don't think that they, you know, I'm not going to question their motives, but it certainly looks incompetent. And they made Jake Tapper look brilliant. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but I hear what you're saying, Matt. I appreciate, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being with us and thanks for sharing your thoughts on it all. Thank you, Buck. All right, we come back. We'll take a break from the madness overseas to discuss the madness at home with The Daily Wire's Matt Walsh, who joins us to discuss continued push for vaccine and mask mandates all across the country. But first, let's talk about that morning cup of coffee. If you're anything like me, you got to start your day with a little bit of caffeine. And that means kicking off my morning with Black Rifle Coffee. I mean, this is some of the best coffee you'll get anywhere. Delicious taste, plus it's veteran-owned. It's a coffee company that serves premium coffee to people who love America. Black Rifle's committed to supporting veteran law enforcement and first responder causes. And they're all about making sure that you enjoy not just your coffee, but the life that your coffee goes along with, right? Whether you're brewing the perfect cup of pour over before going to work or cracking a can of 300 on your next backcountry mission, Black Rifle Coffee is here to fuel your way wherever the summer takes you. Just go to blackriflecoffee.com buck. Use the promo code buck at checkout for 20% off your first order. Again, that's blackriflecoffee.com buck. Use that promo code buck at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Fuel your summer with America's coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. Matt Walsh, The Daily Wire, stops by when we come back. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security recently published an advisory on current terrorism threats. Among those mentioned were grievances over public health, safety measures, and government restrictions. Uh, yeah, what does it say about the current state of America? Well, that if you choose to speak out against the government, uh, you could be listed as a potential threat. Here's what NBC's Homeland Security correspondent Pete Williams had to say about the ongoing national terrorism threat we currently face. A new terror alert has been issued by Homeland Security tonight. Pete Williams is here. Pete, what do we know about this? Well, DHS says this new terrorism advisory is not based on any actual threats or plots, but it says there's a rise in anti-government rhetoric. Some of it is opposition to COVID public health rules like mask and vaccine measures. Some calls for violent action are based on claims of election fraud or a belief that Donald Trump can be reinstated. And DHS says the coming 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and religious holidays later this year could be catalysts for violence. The more this continues, my friends, the more we begin to see the mainstream media and the Biden administration hit the panic button because people with common sense are waking up. Here with me now is the host of the Matt Walsh podcast. Matt Walsh, good to see you, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. 
So you spoke out in uh, Tennessee recently at a school board meeting. Uh, just tell everybody, because there were some in favor of the school mask mandates and some opposed, obviously you among them. Uh, what, did you, what did you say and what did you hear when you were at this front line of the school mask battle? Yeah, I, my, my point was just to uh, try to inject a little bit of sanity and common sense and, and maybe some perspective into you know, this, this debate over masks. Um, and I, I found that there was, I already knew there was a lot of that missing from, from the debate, but at the school board meeting, that, that became even more clear because you know, there were a lot of uh, pro-mask parents there and the school board had already instated the mask mandate before this meeting, they had uh, the, the, the week before they had met privately and decided they were going to do this. And then they had the meeting uh, after that. And there were a lot of parents getting up there and sort of tearfully thanking the school board for imposing the mask mandate. And many of them were, were quite terrified that, uh, that a, you know, a, a child, a student exposing their, indecently exposing their nose and mouth might uh, be a threat to their children. And it's just uh, to totally irrational. So that's the point I tried to make when I spoke. I only had three minutes, but you know, when you when you compare the the uh, threat that COVID poses to kids against many other kinds of threats, including you know the flu, for example, it uh, you, you see how how small and how minor that threat really is, which is something we should be grateful for. But instead, it's like you know there are a lot of parents who don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe that their kids are actually pretty safe as far as COVID goes. It's pretty stunning that there are adults who would show up at a meeting like that in tears because of their belief that children are at so much risk from COVID, considering the data is overwhelming and obvious and has been all along that that's not true. But as you can see, Matt, there are measures being taken by cities in many places across the country, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New Orleans, where they're saying there's some version of vaccine passports as well as indoor mask mandates, depending on the place. I mean, New York City Mayor de Blasio just clarified ID must also be shown along with proof of vaccination. So now people have to have proper ID to be vaccinated and they must have matching ID at all times to enter restaurants and all indoor venues in New York City. I just understand if voter ID is racist for vote, how is this not racist, especially in a city like New York? where you have, uh, for the African-American population in New York City, a majority overall are unvaccinated, and something like 70%, 70%, uh, close to that, of those under 40 are unvaccinated. So why isn't that racist? Yeah, just one of the many contradictions and double standards we've got from this, from the left, uh, in, in, you know, in, in reference to the COVID measures. I mean, another big one is, you know, when it comes to masking, they've kind of thrown all of their my body, my choice language out the window. And then with the IDs, whether it's racist or not, the fact is they tell us that to get a to get an ID to vote is um, whether you're white or black, it's it's a it's cumbersome, you know, because we're even told well, what about rural Americans and you know they they can't find a way. Kamala Harris was talking about that a few weeks ago. It must be so difficult because they don't have uh, you know they don't have those fancy photocopiers to make to make copies of their ID. So that's cumbersome, but all, but that's you know, there, there's a presidential election once every four years. And so you got four years if you want to vote a presidential election to figure out some way to get an ID. Some, if you could just you four years to plan for it and execute that plan, um, as opposed to, right, vaccine passports and now all the identification that you need just to live your daily life on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, so it doesn't make any sense how that wouldn't be 
at least as cumbersome as getting an ID to vote. It makes no sense at all. Matt, I know you're a Tennessee resident, and as a state, because it's redder than some of the states like New York and California that have had the most extreme measures, you're perhaps a, a better off there and also in Texas and Florida, some other places across the country. But now, as I'm sure you've seen, the Biden administration is discussing mandating COVID-19 vaccines for interstate travel. Uh, they're worried that this might be polarizing for the moment. But, I mean, Matt, what do you think happens if the Biden administration says you can't fly domestically, essentially, you know, across state lines uh, without getting vaccinated? Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been wondering this whole time, as I think we all have been, like, when, when do we reach a point as an American people, as, as, a, as a people, that this is just, that's a line, that's, that's one line you can't cross. It's gone too far. Uh, I think a lot of us thought that we would have crossed that line a long time ago. So I would like to say that banning interstate travel among American citizens, unless you can show your papers, I would like to say that's, a, that's just a line you can't cross and that we the people would stand up and say, absolutely not. We're not going to go along with this. We're not going to cooperate. You have to put us all in prison because it's just not going to happen. Um, but I, I don't know. I think there's a certain segment of the population, a large segment, that is totally willing because they've been they've been literally scared senseless at this point. And they're totally willing to go along with it. It also doesn't make any sense, by the way, too, because um, so you're going to ban interstate travel uh, via airplane. What about what about you know if you want to drive in your car to another state? Are they going to set up checkpoints on the highway? I mean. Maybe they will, but um, I think that that's the really sad part of this whole story is how so many Americans, millions of them, have um, basically said to the government, okay, I'll give you my freedom as long as you keep me safe from this thing that for most of us poses very little threat in the end. It is very disconcerting and honestly very disappointing how many Americans have got along with this and for how long they've done so. But Matt, appreciate your perspective. Matt Walsh, The Daily Wire, everybody go check out his latest. Thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot. Remember that time Biden said we won't ever have to worry about his tweets when he's president? Well, wait till you find out what he tweeted this weekend. That's coming up on tonight's Quick Hits. But first, everyone wants to invest in crypto, but whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any of the other dozens of tokens out there, it's not that easy to get started. That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, decided to create My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone calls and help you get started. Because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities or limit losses without having to watch your account, and a play money account so you can test the market without actually risking money. With the crypto market where it is these days, it could be a great time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not just a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with tonight's Quick Hits. CNN calls the group of Taliban shouting death to America friendly, and Martha's Vineyard is seeing a spike in COVID cases after Obamacare's sophisticated super spreader party. Let's get into tonight's Quick Hits. Uh, first off, in Kabul, a CNN international correspondent had quite a moment, getting a bit of attention for this one, referring to, oh, and she, by the way, had been wearing Western-style clothing a few days before during her live shots, and then, as of today, is wearing the full black head-to-toe uh, covering hijab of an Islamic theocracy. But uh, here she is telling everybody that, you know, the Taliban, well, I'll let her say it. 
They're just chanting death to America, but they seem friendly at the same time. It's utterly bizarre. Death to America, but they seemed friendly at the same time. Um, so that was a thing. By the way, you also had over the weekend a tweet from Biden or from his account where you had Biden sitting alone and the whole thing looked pretty, uh, pretty bleak, especially given what was going on in Afghanistan. But then you had a bunch of people on the screen with some designations that are intelligence designations uh, for individuals in different places, which is the kind of thing you usually wouldn't want to share out in a tweet like that. But because Biden did it, I guess, you don't have to worry about it. But from 2020, he said, you won't have to worry about my tweets when I'm president. Doesn't really seem like that's the case, does it? And I think we also have much bigger things that we need to be focused in on and worried about when it comes to Biden. And then there's the Obama party. Remember this, the party? It was uh, not one that I got invited to, unfortunately. I did not make the guest list for the Obama birthday party. But uh, people out on Martha's Vineyard, a whole bunch of them, over 74, I believe, have tested positive for COVID-19 since Barack Obama's 60th birthday extravaganza, uh, extravaganza, the most of any week since April. And hundreds of people uh, attended Obama's birthday bash from all over the country. They ate, dance, uh, danced, and uh, drank the night away on his estate in Edgartown. And let's just be very clear, uh, they were wearing masks and they were indoors. Now, that's fine. I'm fine with that. I think we should all go back to normal tomorrow. But they don't believe that, at least Obama and his guests, they think that you should mask up and you should get shots and you should have to lock down when they say so. More hypocrisy. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.